Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. On tonight's episode, we're going to continue our preview of the minor league baseball season with a look at some of the hitting prospects that we're excited to see in the Orioles farm system this year. This is part two of our minor league baseball preview as the MILB season will get underway next week. In addition, we'll get into some Orioles news items, including the debut of Zach Lothar that occurred over the weekend. Um, But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So we'll get into our minor league preview uh, here in a few minutes, but first we want to get some news items that have happened um, since we were last on the air last week. The big one being the debut of Zach Lothar uh, on Sunday when the Orioles beat the Oakland A's 8-1 to in the series finale and ending the A's 13-game winning streak in the process. Um, Lothar's debut came as a bit of a surprise because some of us were not expecting to see him until maybe sometime this summer. He came in, made one uh, pitch, one inning of relief, and closed out the game in the ninth inning, um, and then was ultimately opted back to the alternate site after that outing. So for now, that's all we're going to get a look at Lothar, but hopefully uh, next week we'll see him on the mound at Norfolk in the rotation as the Orioles look to get him back there at some point. Um, only one inning, but he looked really impressive. Um, Nick, your thoughts on Lothar's debut? That was that was awesome to finally see him make his MLB debut. Like you said, it was only one inning, but it was exciting. I personally, Lothar is someone that, that I've followed pretty closely since he joined the Orioles. Uh, he's someone that I've enjoyed going to the ballpark and watch pitch. Uh, so to see him make that his debut with a scoreless inning and a strikeout to close it out was pretty awesome. Um, we also got some of the stat cast numbers. I know it was only one inning. I'm not taking anything away from it, but just to see some initial numbers that you know we don't get to see with these guys down in the minor leagues, we don't have access to. And the one thing I noted was that, that fastball. And that fastball really moves. I mean, I've seen it there live, but I haven't been able to put numbers to it. And according to StatCast, it had more than 12 inches of horizontal movement on his fastball, which is 68% higher than the average forcing fastball in the majors. So uh, you get a, a small glimpse there of what he can do with that. Um, I mean, he looked like he belonged there in the mound. He works quickly, controlled. He works with purpose. 
I imagine he's going to get a lot of AAA starts now, at least a few. Um, with Kramer back up, he's pitching right now as we start recording. Um, Aiken hopefully is back soon. I don't know, but we'll see how long Lothar stays down there, but I imagine it's not for too long. Yeah, like you said, to finally get those those stats uh, to go along with the, the scouting reports, like they said he has like a little bit different of a delivery, so he hides the ball well coming out of his hand. And if you add that with that movement that you're talking about, that's a pretty deadly weapon right there. Yeah, definitely looked like a guy that belonged in the major league level. I know a lot of fans are disappointed that he just got one inning and was sent right back down, but I think they just needed an arm and they chose him to give him his, his debut in a low leverage situation. So now he can go, you know, start games, build his pitch count up and hopefully come back as a starter the next time. Kind of like Bruce Zimmerman at the end of last year, except it happened at the beginning of the year. But yeah, I was, I was happy to see it and I thought he looked pretty good. You know, I don't know that I have watched what was seemingly not that meaningful of a strikeout. It's a strikeout to end an eight to one game. Um, caught looking, but I watched that clip so many times because that's exactly what we've been talking about with Zach Lothar, the deception and delivery. This is a changeup that he throws to Matt Chapman, had such good movement on it, gets a strikeout, and this is when he's pitching out of the stretch, too, so you're not quite seeing the full windup. I watched that clip so many times after Sunday's game, um, just because, you know, like I said, this is what we have been referring to with Lothar for a while, which is the deception and delivery the movement on his pitches, we know that's going to be really key to him being successful because he doesn't throw that hard. But if he's going to have that kind of movement on his pitches, it's going to be tough for hitters to get good contact off of him. What a gutsy call. A 3-2 changeup right on the corner there. That was, that was nice. Yeah. I mean, with me, I'm, I've said before in a previous show that I think – it, not a knock on Zach Lothar, but I really think that stuff can play up out of the bullpen in short stints like this. And so, you know, not, no major takeaways from that outing except that it was a lot of fun, but you got a little taste there. And maybe this is a guy who comes up and works a lot of those one, two inning outings as the season goes along. We'll see. Yeah. And we don't know how things are going to you know progress with pitching um, as the year goes on, but I think so far we're seeing where someone that can come out of the bullpen and deliver two or three innings of relief is really valuable. And I think regardless of whether the Orioles envision Lothar as a starter when he comes back up this summer or they see him out of the relief, getting him stretched out over multiple innings is going to be key. Absolutely. And just look at Jay Fla as well. I mean, we're going to see guys up and down all season long. Yeah, that was cool to see him get his debut. Obviously not as highly touted, a little bit older, but – it was cool. He struck out Aaron Judge on a nice – had pretty some wicked movement. I think that was a changeup as well. So, yeah, good for him. I don't know if he'll even be back this year, but he's an option, and he doesn't look that bad. Yeah, the, the Orioles pitchers um, so far having their success of strikeouts on Aaron Judge, at least the rookies are. So, uh, <laughs> but that, that was a, it was good to see Flog at his debut and um, a little lower in the minor leagues um, is a player that you're going to hear a lot about on this show this year, and you've already heard a lot about him if you've been listening to us for a while, and that's Gunnar Henderson. Uh, one of the things that we had said repeatedly about Henderson uh, over the offseason was that he seemed to be circling top 100 lists. Well, now he officially is a top 100 prospect, at least according to Baseball America, which has now put him in their top 100 list. Um, Henderson, as we'll get into in a little bit, Probably going to be at one of the A-ball levels this year. Really drawing a lot of praise um, that started back the alternate site last summer uh, where he went to work out in Bowie. And 
you know, while we are still waiting to see what he's going to deliver this year, and we have to keep in mind that he still has very limited professional experience since being drafted in 2019, um, the fact that now Henderson is a top 100 prospect says a lot about the expectations for him going into the 2021 season. So, Bob, um, is this kind of your reaction to that and what you think we're going to see from Henderson this year? Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. You know, you keep hearing how he's the breakout guy. He's going to be on the 100, top 100 at some point this season. But to actually see it, you know, come to fruition when he's has like barely 100 at-bats in a professional level, it's pretty cool. You know, he takes Ryan, Mac up, Ryan Mountcastle's placed on the top 100, so we're back to five. And, yeah, he's only going to go up from here. I'm selfishly hoping he starts at Aberdeen because I'm going to be seeing quite a few of their games this year. But I think he'll most likely start at Delmarva and work his way up. But uh, if he performs the way everyone says he should, then he'll move up pretty quickly. It's about time he made the top 100 list because, I mean, whether you're reading Loggenhagen at Fangraphs or Kylie McDaniel at ESPN, MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, I mean, take your pick of prospect websites and everybody was writing about Gunnar Henderson. This is the prospect to watch for the Baltimore Orioles this year, our breakout prospect. That's not named Adley Rutschman, uh, unless you took the easier route and said Adley Rutschman. But I mean, this is everybody's go-to prospect in the Orioles system. And then I don't know how many guys graduated out of the top 100 before uh, yesterday. I mean, what, 10, 15 guys, I feel like probably graduated from top 100 and we never saw Gunnar Henderson today. And, and now he's there in, on Baseball America, at least. MLB Pipeline, not yet, but um, soon. Yeah, just, yeah, soon. Um, you know, just no one's really seen him. We haven't seen him play. I mean, these guys have that, that make these lists and these rankings, but uh, no one else has really seen him because he had that Gulf Coast League stint, and that was it. And then 2020 happened. So, I mean, it's, it's exciting. I do think with his performance at alternate site last year, Major League Camp, Spring Training this year, if he does start at Delmarva, I don't think he's going to be there very long. Yeah, I agree. He was facing much more advanced competition um, in Bowie last year. And although, you know, you do have to take some of those reports with a little bit of a grain of salt because we don't really have much of a way to verify that on the outside. It, there's, I don't think there's any denying the, the fact that if he was in Bowie going up against older competition, um, as someone who's not even in his 20s yet, only has 29 games of professional experience under his belt, that that's really good experience for him. And you have to think that, you know, the pitching he faces in low A this year um, or high A, either one of those two levels, is going to be below what he was facing last summer in Bowie. Yeah, I mean, he had Grayson Rodriguez every day. <laughs> and so, I mean, to go from Grayson Rodriguez to some guys, you know, number six starter on their low A team, I mean <laughs> – it could be a good year, big year for Gunnar Henderson. But I'm excited to watch him play finally. And uh, especially I'm excited to watch him play shortstop because I think one of the things that I've enjoyed reading about a lot of these reports is uh, a lot of people seem to be taking back their initial, oh, he's going to be too big. He's going to grow out of the position of shortstop. And now you see a lot of these guys with like the high school kids coming up in this year's draft. And with Gunnar Henderson, you say, oh, well, I mean, guys like Carlos Correa and Corey Seager can play shortstop. So Gunnar Henderson can do it too. Well, obviously, I mean, he, he's, if he's that athletic, he can do it. I'm not worried about him moving off the position right now. I want to watch Gunnar Henderson play shortstop for, for somebody this year. Yeah, and I mean, he looked the part in spring training in a limited time. He got 20 years old with the big leaguers. He he looked like he belonged out there. Not like that means a whole lot, but it's something. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's something, you know, we can see. And it's something that, you know, although I don't, I haven't looked at the 
competition score that baseball reference had for Gunnar Henderson, I would still have to imagine that most of the pitchers he was facing were, again, probably above the level that he'll be playing in this year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens with him. It's, it's <laughs> exciting. He's one of those kids that there's just – it's hard to believe that we're here. Like, we are just days away now from minor league baseball opening day. And we've got the Shorebirds on MILB TV. Hopefully, we have all four affiliates. We're not quite sure about Aberdeen yet, but we've got all four affiliates on MILB TV, so we will actually be able to watch all of these guys finally. I feel like our expectations are so high, though. If he doesn't bat 400 <laughs> slash 500 slash 700, he's going to be a disappointment. Yeah. Rain in the expectation a little bit. I will try to. <laughs> Well, and we're now going to get into some of the uh, other position players that we uh, have some expectations for and that we're excited to see in 2021. If you listen to our show last week, we de- we previewed some of the pitchers that we're uh, looking forward to watching this year. And the way we did that was we went back to an article that Bob wrote late in 2020, uh, taking an early crack, projecting the 2021 rosters. Uh, starting at Norfolk and working our way down to Delmarva. And that's what we're going to do again tonight, but this time we're going to flip that around and go with position players. So Bob's got his uh, article there, and we'll start it off in Norfolk. Yeah, I'll go ahead and start with the catcher position. Austin Wins, I have projected there. Yeah, alternate site superstar Austin Wins, that is. Uh, first base, you got Tyler Nevin. Second base, Taryn Vavra, a couple of former Colorado Rockies. Sorry to see you go, uh, general manager over there. Third base, Rylan Bannon. Shortstop, Richie Martin. Left field, Chris Shaw. Center field, Ryan McKenna. Right field, Neil Diaz. And DH, Brett Cumberland. Slash catcher. Yeah, we probably should know that that was written before the Alex Cobb trade. Yeah, otherwise, Jemai yeah, Jones yeah. in in the mix there. But one player I know you want to talk about, Bob, was uh, Richie Martin, who might see some time at Norfolk, uh, at least initially. Yeah, you know, I even put him on the list before Freddie Galvis had that little, you know, day-to-day nagging injury after he hit that double off the wall against, uh, I think, the Yankees in the first game of that series. He pulled up a little limp, and it looked like maybe he might have to go on the IL. And luckily for him, it just seems like it's a couple days off and he should be good to go, but thought Richie Martin might get the call and get a little abbreviated action uh, at the major league level, but it's going to be interesting to see him perform finally after he had so many injuries he missed last year. Then he was hurt again in off season early on in spring, finally get healthy and finally be at a level where he can actually be competitive, at least in the beginning of the year. Maybe he's made some improvements that we don't know about and he is major league ready soon enough, but at the very least, we kept him on the roster for 2019 for a reason as a Rule 5 pick. And now I think this is the time where he can, you know, figure out – the Orioles can figure out if he's going to be a role player, if he could be potentially a starter at shortstop for a little bit, or just a utility guy. So big year for him. Interested to see how he does. Yeah, I mean, I think the highlight of this Norfolk roster in general is going to be the pitching, I think, for sure. Uh, but And we've talked about Yusniel Diaz uh, a ton, and Brett Cumberland is a guy we've even talked about some. But Richie Martin, I think, is interesting just because, I mean, I don't think he's going to be 
any team starting shortstop uh, for a full season. And I get the sense that a lot of Orioles fans have probably written him off and probably wouldn't be upset if they never saw him on the field again. But I'm still intrigued personally. I mean, he was a rule five pick. So, I mean, you saw how long it took for Anthony Santander to adjust. Um, so it's going to take time for Richie Martin to do that too. And injuries have prevented that, like you said, Bob. And we saw a good bit of him back in 2019, that second half of the season. I mean, the numbers improved a lot and the Orioles did kind of, you know, I don't want to say baby him, but they put him in favorable situations, we'll say, at the plate, which I think led to a lot of those good numbers. But you need that with a young player like Martin. You need to boost his confidence, and I think it did that. And then 2020 happened. So he's been, And then the injury. I think he was in Puerto Rico playing over the winter, and another injury happened. So, I mean, I don't think his defense is bad, and I know there's a lot of that debate last year, or 2019, about what do the defensive metrics say versus what does the eye test say when it comes to Richie Martin. Uh, I think even Rocco got in on that argument a few times last year. And I liked what I saw of him defensively. I think he can be a viable defensive option at shortstop or second base. Uh, I even went back and looked and he ranked in the 97th percentile in sprint speed in 2019. So, I mean, if he could show an improvement at the plate, stop hitting just ground balls half the time uh, and get on base, you've got a utility guy there. And, um, you know, you, you have Jemai Jones now in the mix You've got Taron Vavra down there, probably in double A level, also in the mix. So I think if Martin's going to prove himself, he's got he's got to get that call up soon, and he's got to hit the ground running because he's got he's got guys coming after him. He'll be the oh sorry Zach, I was just going to say he maybe he's the infield version of Cedric Mullins with the speed. Yeah. I mean that, that's a good comp. You know that that's something that I think Orioles fans uh, could hope for here. I think the biggest thing for him is just going to be getting healthy. Yeah, he was in the major leagues in 2019 and really before he was ready. But I thought despite that, he did about what I expected. You know, he was a, he was a fine shortstop. He was up and down with the bat a little bit. 2020, I thought, was going to be an opportunity for him to maybe take a step forward, regardless of whether it was in a starting role or a utility role. And then the injury happens um, and he you know ultimately misses the season. I think if he can get regular at-bats in at Norfolk, so that he's healthy. Um, you know, right now, no one's really stepping up to claim this job at second base in the major leagues. And even if you don't envision Martin as a starter at the major league level, you have to think he could at least be part of the solution short term uh, for the middle infield spots in Baltimore if he's hitting well at Norfolk. And if we start to see some offensive improvements, the athleticism that he has, which shows in his speed, will make him worthy of, you know, at least another extended run in the lineup. Could he really be any worse than Ramon Urias and Rio Ruiz? (laughs) What they're running out there at the plate, especially. (laughs) I mean, I just pulled up his numbers again. I pulled up the splits again just to see, comparing his first half numbers to his second half numbers. And the second half numbers were 40 games, and I think more than 100 at-bats or so. So, I mean, a substantial sample size here. And his strikeout rate went from about 32% down to 18%. uh, he was hitting 166 first half of the season. He hit 284 over the second half of the season. WRC plus went from 32 to 89. Uh, on base percentage was up uh, about 100 points. So, like, I mean, there are significant improvements there from first half to the second half of the season. And like I said, he's a Rule Five pick, and he's still only 26. He's a young 26 year old too. So you got that speed. You got the versatility. Maybe he can even be a reserve outfielder with that speed. I, I don't know. I, I don't know about the arm, but it's something. He's intriguing. He's going to be fun to watch. I think in Norfolk. So we'll look now at the lineup in Bowie, where um, the prospects everyone is waiting to see was uh, to be behind the plate. 
Uh, actually, I have no. Of course, it's Adley Rushman <laughs> at catcher. I have J.C. Ascara at first base, Greg Cullen at second, Caden Grenier, Grenier. Sorry, I never can pronounce his name right. At, I had him at third base, Adam Hall at shortstop, Zach Jarrett in left field, Cole Billingsley in center, Robert Newstrom in right, and A.J. Graffinino at D.H. slash getting time on the infield. So, not exactly the most exciting. Of the bunch, I think the pitching is going to be a lot better in Billy than the, the hitting, at least to start. But that's that's what we have. Yeah, I, and you know, although none of us wrote Adley Rutzman down as like players we wanted to highlight, we probably still should discuss him because we know that this is the you know one of the best prospects in baseball. Um, we briefly kind of speculated about whether or not he would end up in Norfolk, um, but I think ultimately the three of us ruled that out and. It's looking now like it's going to be Bowie, but what do you want to see from Rutzman? I'll start with Bob on this, both behind the plate um, and with how he handles the pitching staff and what he can do when he's in the batter's box. Just get that in-game feel for catching D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish, who keeps getting love more and more as we see stuff come out. Uh, just get a feel for these guys in game. Obviously he's been catching them all last year and this year in spring and alternate site and all that stuff. But in actual game that counts, just get that competitive drive going, get that camaraderie with those guys and get those at bats. We've talked about it a lot. He just needs at bats and get a feel double a he's going to see not, you know, the best quality, but double a is a big jump from the single a. So get those at bats, work those walks, just get a feel and, get up to AAA by midseason, and maybe we can get a peek at him towards the end of the year in Baltimore. Doubt it, but. I mean, I think if you pull an Orioles fans, they want him up right now, and they'll take their lumps. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, I think Boo's going to be a good spot for him. I think they're definitely, especially if you have Grace Rodriguez and, and the, these guys down here, you definitely want Adley Rushman working with them at least for a few weeks, get a few starts under your belt. And we saw a lot of Adley in spring training at the major league level with the Orioles. And, I mean, a lot of times he looked like he was swinging for the fence every single time, I and mean, he's looking to crush the ball. He's a young kid who has a lot of power. We know that. He knows that. So I think it's just going to be a matter of calming down. Uh, this is your job. We all know that. There's a lot of pressure on him, but maybe he kind of shook a little bit of that off back in 2019 when they moved him up. I mean, what did he play for, like three different levels that year as they did the, the Adley tour down in the minor leagues? <laughs> so, I mean, shake that off. Relax. you got a full season now. It's a long season. It's a long grind. Just start building that rep- that uh, repertoire with Rodriguez and these younger prospects, which, like you said, he already has that foundation there with these guys. But uh, just regular, regular at-bats, because even in 2019, I know some people were like looking at the numbers and, and trying to make uh, assumptions about Adley Rushman already as a rookie, which was impossible to do because, I mean, the guy had a grueling uh, college season. Then he went on that awards tour after the season. Then he had mono. So, I mean, then they're trying to tout him at every stop in the minor leagues last year in 2019. So, I mean, just, just settle in. It's He's going to be okay. He's going to be there. He's going to be in Baltimore soon enough. And we don't have to watch Chancisco just flail around and pretend like he doesn't even want to be there uh, in, inside the batter's box for too much longer. I don't, I shouldn't have said Chancisco's name because now I'm mad. He annoys me. <laughs> no, no. Well, whatever you last season when you, you would have these sort of moments on air, Nick, where you were really down on a guy, he would get on a hot streak. So now I'm expecting Chance Cisco to hit like 400 over the next 10 games. Chance Cisco, watching him in the batter's box, he has the same 
like body language that I do when I do laundry. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just throwing stuff around. That's what he looks like. So go hit the ball. Stop striking out. Anyway, yeah, highly rushing. You're, you're not wrong about that. And uh, <laughs> hey, Pat Blake is back playing shortstop. <laughs> That's why I'm not watching the game tonight. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, should we move on to Frederick then? Uh, yes. Okay. A little Aberdeen. more excitement. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I, yeah, it's still confusing. That will not I, be the last time that happens. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. And Aberdeen, Ironbirds, high A now. I have Maverick Hanley catching. Andrew Doshback playing first base. Anthony Servideo playing second base. Toby Welk at third. Jordan Westberg at short. Johnny Reiser in left. Zach Watson in center. Kyle Stowers completes that trio of 2019 draftees in right. And... Joey Ortiz, who Matt Blood says, keep an eye out on him this year at the H. So this is actually, I think, the lineup where we had the most players highlighted, and a lot of it is that 2019 draft class uh, that we're finally going to see over an extended run. And one of the guys I'm really excited about is Maverick Handley, a uh, sixth-rounder who was in 2019 the co-defensive player of the year in, in the Pac-12 alongside Adley Rutzman. Um, his defense has earned rave reviews going back to its days at Stanford. The bat was always solid, but I'm going to pull something here that um, Eric Longenhagen wrote a couple months ago as part of his uh, rundown of the top 45 prospects in the Orioles' farm system. Uh, He ranked Hanley 37th and said, his swing looks like it has changed a little bit since his time at Stanford and now features a little bigger, slower leg kick than before. Um and then goes on to say that without an impact offensive tool, he likely maxes out as a contact-oriented backup, but we'll see what the new swing does for his power output. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good report from Eric, and I'm curious now to see, do we get a little bit more power that he's tweaked his swing a little bit? But even if we don't, this is a really good defensive catcher who is going to hold down the job at, at high A, and I think that when you see Rutzman move up, uh, later this season, if he does go to Norfolk, about that time we'll probably see uh, Maverick Hanley in Double A because his defense and his game calling, his arm, all of that will be ready for Double A. Yeah, I think he will be an underappreciated guy that uh, a backup catcher. I mean, that is a position that gets a lot of play. You see, Francisco, he gets a little too many at bats this year. You know, your backup catcher, you got to have a decent one. That's a guy who the starter is going to get more time off than most other positions, if not all of them. So, And I think he, he's going to be great defensively. Like you said, it's just a matter of can he develop a little bit more offensively. But I think Maverick Hanley is going to be in an Orioles uniform for, uh, you know, at least his six years of service time. I think he'll be a valuable guy to have. Yeah, the Orioles have done a pretty good job over the last few years, at least since, you know, 2015 or so, since I really started uh, following this following this system and covering games down there. And what the Orioles have done a really good job of are stockpiling these defensive-minded catchers, especially in the lower levels of the minor league. Like, I think of guys like uh, Daniel Fajardo. And if you know who Daniel Fajardo is, like, we can be friends. Like, that's that was my guy when he was in Frederick. I loved watching him play. I said the Orioles let him go, I think, like two years ago or something. But um, Maverick Canley, I think, is one of those guys. And he's becoming a favorite of mine. I've talked about him a lot before. Uh, like you said, you do need more than one catcher. Like, I hate to break it to anybody who's listening, but Adley Rutschman can't play 162 games behind the plate as much as we all want him to. Uh, 
you need a guy like Hanley, this is that defensive first catcher that I think a lot of Orioles fans are begging for up at the major league level right now. Um, you know, when he was at Stanford, he called all of his own games, which I love. I mean, that's rare. You don't see that anymore. I don't even know if catchers in the college level know how to put a sign down anymore, to be <laughs> totally honest. Like, you just don't see it. Coaches call everything. And I think Hanley prided himself on calling his own games. Um, you know, I'm looking back. I wrote an article last year back when I thought that maybe COVID was just going to be like a two-week break thing that we'd all get. Um that was wrong. Uh, but I wrote an article about an all sleeper prospect team for Baltimore sports and life.com and actually pulled that up today, going back and looking at it. Cause I forgot I actually wrote that, but Hanley was my catcher. And, you know, this was a guy who his last two years at Stanford, he threw out 52% of base runners. And then when he was in Aberdeen, he threw out 63% of base runners and caught eight shutouts when he was with the Ironbirds as a rookie. Uh, I mean, so as long as he can hit a little bit, which he did in college and he did in the kick cod league. Um, you referenced the Eric Longenhagen Fangrass gives him a 50 feature value hit tool, which isn't anything. Uh, so I think if this is a guy that you wouldn't mind having splitting time with Adley Rushman at the major league level. And if Hanley is in Aberdeen and that rotation that we have where it's drew Rom, uh, Leonardo Rodriguez, Nick Vespi, guys like that, that I think it's going to make Aberdeen a really fun place to, to go watch a baseball game this year. Absolutely. And I guess uh, I'll bring up my next guy here, Jordan Westberg, playing shortstop, I would imagine, most every day for the Ironbirds. This is a guy who kind of along the same lines as Gunnar Henderson. Now he, I feel like those two were kind of getting those next guy up on the top 100 consideration. Obviously, Gunnar a little bit ahead, but this is a guy we took with our, what was it, the comp pick in between the first and second mm-hmm. round. So, yeah, he got some time at Major League Spring Training this year, and again, looked apart. Obviously, not a lot to go off of there, but, you know, get this guy, this college bat that Elias loves, get him to uh, get, hit the ground running, and maybe he can be a Bowie before long as well. Yeah, there's already, kind of like with Gunnar Henderson, there's already a lot of discussion about, you know, will Jordan Westbrook stick at shortstop, and although he was a very good defensive shortstop at Mississippi State, there's questions basically because of his size if he's going to move off the position, whether or not he ends up at second or third. I'm not too worried about that right now because I think that the Orioles do have time to sort that out. And I think it will also be a while before you have to make the decision of who's at short, Henderson or Westberg. you got some time to work that out. I mainly want to see if the power comes through because we've heard a lot about the raw power. And you're looking at a guy who's got a good arm, has a lot of speed. And if we see the power come around, and you're looking at a potential 2020 middle infielder, uh, regardless of whether he's at second or short down the road, I think that's great. Or you happen to have a third baseman that has a lot of speed. You know, but the defense will sort itself out. What I'm mainly interested to see is, can he cut back on the strikeouts a little bit, and while at the same time putting up pretty good power numbers. But I, I think that Westberg is going to have a good year. Yeah, I think he uh, needs to translate that raw power to in-game power. That's like his final step of development, I think. Yeah, I think that's the big thing that I'm going to be watching for this year with him. And I guess this year is just finding out who is Jordan Westberg, I think, this year, because we haven't seen him play yet. Um, is he a future utility piece that he, if he can't tap into his raw power, but the glove is good enough to keep him around? Or does he start turning out those home runs in, in pro ball? And I don't know if it was Westberg. I was trying to remember this. Uh, if we threw like a Jonathan Scope comp on him or if that was someone else we were talking about. But I feel like maybe that could be 
I get that kind of vibe. When you look at a guy who can put up 20 plus home runs, he might sneak through. I think Scope had like a 30, 32 home run year. Maybe Westberg is a guy who can sneak that in if that power comes out. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to see maybe once or twice, but I mean, it, the defense is good. It's solid. It's, it's not going to hurt you at all at second base. And I think the strikeouts are high, but he had like a 385 on base percentage in college, so he can walk as well. So maybe that defense and the walk rate helps offset the strikeout numbers. Uh, it's just a big unknown. And so I want to see who Jordan Westberg is and can he separate himself? What's What separates him from Taron Vavra and Adam Hall, guys that are in the system now? So it's going to be definitely fun to watch. Well, hopefully he's not the 2021 version of Jonathan Scope because yikes. First baseman, Jonathan Scope, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I guess we can, unless anybody has anything else on Jordan Westberg, we had another guy, Andrew Doshbach was one of my guys that I I wanted to highlight. Um, Orioles don't really have any first base prospects in this system. Uh, it's been like that for a while. I mean, you had like Seamus Curran, who was a top 30 guy, I think, at one point, just because he could hit the ball 500 feet or, or so. But uh, he strike out like 200 times a season or, or close to it. Um, he was just released, though. So you've seen the Orioles go a lot with like converted catchers like J.C. Ascara, moving them over to first base. There's the Preston Palmero experiment over at first base, which he just kind of hit a wall once they moved him over to first base. But now you really got nobody except like Ryan Ripken. And like, we all know why Ryan Ripken is still in the organization, but Doshmark, I think is a true first base prospect with some tools. And he was the third Stanford player taken in the 2019 draft for the Orioles behind Maverick Canley and Kyle Stowers. Uh, got a big signing bonus. The Orioles like him. He was a couple of note series, all pack 12 defensive glove at first base. Uh, so, I mean, that's Orioles preaching strength up the middle and defensive guys in these last two drafts. But um, I don't know if anybody's listening is familiar with Mason McCray on Twitter. He pumped out a lot of good MLB draft content all year. But I found a tweet from him last year who he went back and looked at during the TrackMan era, the, the highest average exit velos for college hitters during the entire TrackMan era. And Doshbach was fourth on that list, even ahead of Spencer Torkelson. Uh, so this guy can hit. Uh, he can hit the ball hard. Uh, even uh, Paul Mancano, I think that's his name. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, over at Masson. Uh, he did a piece a couple months ago, back in February. He did an interview with him. There's a good piece there. If you search for that, it's worth highlighting. Guy hits the ball to all parts of the field. Got some power. Good glove. I don't know. It's a first base prospect, but I mean, I think this is someone who could at least, at worst, provide some entertainment if you go watch somebody in the baseball this year. Yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, Nick, the first base position is not really one of strength in the farm system, even though it seems like the Orioles have so many first basemen at the major league level. Um, I'm excited to see Dasbach, and he's somebody that I think has gotten lost in the shuffle because of not having a lot of time in pro ball in 2019 right after the draft and then, you know, losing 2020 like so many other prospects did. But as he gets, you know, promoted potentially from Aberdeen to Aberdeen this year, which we're going to see with a lot of players, um, if that power comes through and the glove looks good at first base, he might move up, um, you know, a couple levels this year, you know, in part because first base is not that strong, but then also because this is someone who was a good power hitter at an advanced division one program, and he's bringing that skill set into pro ball. If he does that, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him play at multiple levels this year. Yeah, it's just going to be nice to have a guy that you don't just skip over in the box score playing first base when you're checking out the the box score at the the next day or whatever. Like he's just a, an actual 
you know, he's not a top 30 prospect for us, but he's probably like top 50. He's he's not nothing. You know, he could develop into something. At the very worst, he's a really nice organizational type of player who, you know, could get a cup of coffee one day. Uh, we got Tyler Nevin at AAA, but other than that, I mean, first base is a desert. And, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to watch yeah, and I'm curious too, like with Nevin though, the question was the power, is his power going to come around? And so if he's a guy who doesn't shake out and Doshbach can settle in and produce at the plate, then I mean, that's guy, he can also play the outfield too. So he's got a touch of speed. So, I mean, he's, he's a little bit versatile too. All right, let's move on to Delmarva. It's still Delmarva, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Catcher Jordan Cannon, first base James Roll, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Second base Daryl Hernandez, third base Kobe Mayo, shortstop Gunnar Henderson, left fielder. I wrote Steven Acevedo, but maybe we could switch it to Lamar Sparks for uh, conversation purposes. Center field Hudson Haskins, right field Heston Kerstad. Welcome back to in-game action and DH JC Encarnacion. I'll start this one with uh, Daryl Hernandez, who may end up at shortstop if Gunnar Henderson, you know, ultimately goes to Aberdeen. But I think second base is going to be where he ends up if Henderson goes there. But anyhow, um, Hernandez is kind of one of those guys that seems to be a big sleeper coming into this year. Um, MLB Pipeline just put him 30th overall in the organization. Young guy. He's actually not going to turn 20 until August. Uh, but what you're hearing a lot about so far is that his overall athleticism is really good, that he runs well. Um, the bat, we don't know quite what to expect yet. But again, given his age, there's some hope that he'll develop with a little bit more power um, as he gets older and fills out. And with the defense, um, the reports you read are that his acumen at shortstop is pretty good. Um, you know, as with most young shortstops, there is that question of as he gets older and fills out, is he going to have to move off the position? But for right now, Everything you're hearing about his defense is pretty good. And this is a player that, you know, like a lot of other 2019 draft picks, this is very little professional time. So I, I'm excited to finally see him on the field this year and see what he does. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a big year, I think, just for middle infield prospects in general in Baltimore because we're sitting here talking about Hernandez as a guy who we're legitimately interested in watching who has legitimate tools yet. I mean, if you just go by like a, a fan graphs ranking, he's probably eighth, the eighth middle infield prospect in the Orioles system. Uh, maybe ninth, if you consider Ryland Bannon, a, a second baseman, a middle infield prospect. So, I mean, this guy deep on that list and this list of middle infield prospects doesn't even include Mason McCoy, Graffinino, Joey Ortiz and Kane Grenier. So, I mean, this, it's a deep position pool to choose from. And with her knives, I, I think he's a real sleeper this year. Uh, like you said, he's only 19. He's still very, very young. Um, so he only had 29 games in the GCL uh, again, but he drew a lot of walks. And, and uh, when I'm looking at GCL or Dominican summer league stats, obviously you can't really take too much away from those numbers, but I do look at walks and strikeout rates for both hitters and pitchers. That's the first thing I look at. Um, give you an idea of their plate discipline, especially at a young age. And if you're a 17 or 17 in the GCL walking at a 15% clip, even if it's just 40 games or so, I think that's pretty decent. Uh, it's a good start. And, and I remember when the Orioles drafted him, that Jim Callis called him a shortstop starter kit. And so it's kind of like he's got all the pieces there to be a major league shortstop, but it's can he put it all together? He's 17. He's extremely raw at that time. He's got a long way to go. A lot of questions to answer, but I mean, his dad was a professional baseball player, so there's the pedigree there. Um, 
there's just so much we don't know about Hernandez and not a lot of info on his high school days. I think he was a late kind of late pop up during that draft. Uh, but, you know, like I mentioned, if he's at Delmarva, uh, they got MILB TV now. Like, did we mention that minor league baseball starts in like three, four or five days? Uh, so we finally get to see Daryl Hernandez as well. And so I think this is going to be a big year for Orioles fans to sit back. I know they're frustrated watching uh, Freddie Galvis and, and whoever at second base, Pat Vileka now at shortstop. But I think this is going to be a big year for middle infield prospects where Orioles fans can sit back and say, all right, I can watch Pat Vileka for another week because I know we got Gunnar Henderson or even Daryl Hernandez coming up through the system. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, Eric, I do think the Shorebirds will go undefeated with this offense. And I know <laughs> Daryl Hernandez uh, is going to be a big part of that. You know, he uh, he's a great unknown. He's like the one guy I'm like super interested to see how he looks uh, in in actual competition. You know, you heard so much. And like Nick, you said, the walks, the, the plate discipline. I feel like that's one of those things that kind of, yeah, you can get better at it, but I feel like you either kind of have that natural ability or you don't, you're aggressive or you're, you're patient at the plate. It's kind of second nature. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great example. I still have faith he'll hit, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not all good hitters are created the same, but I do think he seems to be a guy that's going to put some <laughs> DJ Stewart esque at bats together once he fully matures into player that he's going to be. But yeah, I'm very excited to watch him play. Yeah. And I mean, with Delmarva, this lineup, they're talking about that. If the catcher is Jordan Cannon, you've got a guy named Cannon behind the plate. So, I mean, come on. But um, I want to talk about Lamar Sparks for a second. He wasn't on this list, and I get why, and that's that's okay. I mean, no one, nobody's seen Lamar Sparks. Uh, very, very few people have ever seen Lamar Sparks. Uh, this is a prospect in the oral system, I promise you all. Uh, but this is why I love doing the show, because we get to talk about guys like this. Um yeah, I can't think of another guy who has had tougher luck in the system than Sparks. Uh, he was a fifth-round pick at the Texas high school ranks back in 2017. So, I mean, he's, he's not a nobody. Um, when I was at Baby Birdland, which is now defunct website, I pegged Sparks after that draft as a guy to watch, and I've kept that. Um, the scouting reports on him are pretty glowing, you know, and it's when you do see video of him, it's easy to see the athleticism and his skill set. But he missed all of 2018 with a torn labrum. Uh, didn't play much in 2019, still recovering from that, trying to ease him back into it. And then 2020 happens. So he's almost 23 now, and he has only 78 GCL games under his belt. And he's also Rule 5 eligible this winter. So obviously guys like that, the odds of them succeeding are pretty low, uh, almost non-existent. But um, you know, before the injury, before that major surgery, reports had him posting MLB quality exit velos down the GCL. He's a guy, he's, he can play center field. He's got all the tools out to play out there. He's a, he just looks like a ball player. He looks like a center fielder, a guy you want roaming in that outfield. And I'm not ready to give up on him. And I hope he can find the field this year because I, this might be it for him. Yeah, he's a guy you got to – you will continue give, to give him chances time and time again but just because if he can put it all together, get healthy, and, and it hits, it's a – freaking great player to have in your system like you said so yeah definitely a tantalizing talent and we will see if he can stay on the field this year he's a player that i've been wanting to see for several years and just because of the injuries and the fact that the only professional time he has had has come in the golf coast league and really have not seen much of him but to underscore kind of what we're talking about I pulled up some past prospect rankings, and wow, the farm system has changed just in the last two years. 
But in 2017, uh, Sparks was ranked 27th in the farm system uh, by MLB Pipeline. Fun fact, two spots ahead of John Means, who was ranked 29th. Um, and then Fangraphs in 2019 had him 21st, one spot ahead of Hunter Harvey. So that tells you that this is a guy who a few years ago was sort of seen as, you know, that sleeper, somebody that really could be on the rise um, once he was able to get on the field and produce. But just because of the injuries, he really has not been able to do that. But, you know, all the reports you heard about him at the time talked about sort of that raw athleticism that he had. Um, lean, kind of a leaner guy. Baseball reference lists him at 6'2", 170. Um, so it, it, he's someone that just a few years ago was seen as a guy that was going to move up, could move up the list quickly, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. The farm system has obviously gotten a lot better in just in the last two years. So he's sort of been forgotten about, but I'll be happy if he's you know starting uh, in the outfield on opening day in Delmarva because it means we're finally going to get a shot to see what some of that hype was about. Yeah. So if he's ahead, if he did rank ahead of John Means, who turned into an all-star pitcher, then Lamar Sparks is basically the future Adam Jones, basically is what you're saying. Uh, no, but I, yeah, I mean, if you look at these outfields though, I mean, you do have guys like Hudson Haskin here in our, in Bob's projected piece there. You got Hudson Haskin at center field at the low A level uh, with a guy like Steven Acevedo and a couple other international guys who are going to be coming up this year stateside uh, that have been getting high praise. I mean, even if you move up, guys like Zach Watson's, Johnny Risers. I mean, these are, I feel like, higher floor prospects uh, that the Orioles drafted recently who have good skill sets. Uh, and so it's going to be tough for Lamar Sparks, but it, there's just a, enough there, I think, to just just keep an eye out for him this year. I especially think there could be room for him. He might not start get, like the season getting every day at bats or playing time in center field, but look, Double A's outfield is not exactly all star caliber. So as you know, that 2019 outfield draft class uh, moves up, and then some of the guys like Heston Kerstad move up to Aberdeen, then Lamar Sparks will have more room to roam out there. Yeah, so we're certainly interested to see these players uh, when the minor league season begins next week. And I should make a quick note that there might be a special episode dropped at the beginning of next week, depending on the timing of when the Orioles affiliates announce their rosters. We still don't know when that's going to be yet, but hopefully if they're out by Sunday or Monday, we're able to get on the air for a little bit just to break down the rosters. And we may end up with two shows coming your way next week as the minor league season gets started. Um, but one, uh, last item we wanted to note tonight was that baseball America has released another mock draft. Um, and this time the Orioles are connected to a different prospect and it is Brady house, a uh, high school player. That's gotten a lot of hype is a two way guy. Uh, most reports I have read suggested that he's probably going to remain an infielder, uh, mostly playing shortstop now. But if you listen to Steven Loftus on our show a couple weeks ago, he mentioned him a little bit. A lot of the reports have mentioned House as a guy with good raw power, a good arm over on the left side of the infield, so he could play third base if he does have to move. Um, that kind of fits the Michael Elias mold of players that we've seen him draft before, including Gunnar Henderson and Kobe Mayo, who was drafted last year. But uh, obviously we're a long way from the draft, but I'll start with Bob. Um, what's your reaction to the Orioles being linked to House at this point? I love it. I'm willing to bet the house that he is the guy. 
at number five. No, uh, I like this draft class as far as the high school talent, like uh, Marcelo Mayer, Jordan Lawler, Brady House. It's just it's so talented. I think, you know, especially the way the college hitters are disappointing. And we know Elias is not super interested in the pitching at that, you know, high up in the draft. So I do think we're probably going to go that way. And he looks like he's maybe just half a step below those top two guys, but he's, he's right up there. He's super talented, could stay on the left side of the infield and has a pretty solid bet. So I, th- I think he had a, like a important matchup with a vaunted pitcher, last week or the week before and he performed pretty well in that game from what I was reading. So he's his draft stock's only going up and it sounds like he's definitely an option for us. He looks like he's a double A hitter right now too. When I was looking at videos of him early, it, that's not a teenage kid. Um no. but yeah just LeBron huge James power. of baseball. <laughs> yeah. Like he's got huge power. I'm just trying to imagine some like 15 year old kid stepping up on the mound trying to pitch to this guy, um, and like House not being able to take that seriously. But no, huge power. Uh, yeah, I saw uh, looking at some other reports earlier today. He had, I think, on the mound. He also throws 97 on the mound. Like just a, a freak athlete. Uh, so look, and with these mock drafts here now, Baseball America has said that. Yes, these are still, you know, it's it is still very early, but now they're getting more reports from, you know, front offices and their contacts. They're getting more information of who, which teams are talking to which players, which what's the signing bonus picture look like for a lot of these kids. And so now they're able to put a lot of these puzzle pieces together a little bit better. And so to have MLB Pipeline and Baseball America give the Orioles house with their latest mock drafts, I think first real s- semi decently solid mock draft i think of the year uh, i think that's a positive sign so i think maybe orioles fans should start doing a little bit uh research on on brady house and these high school kids and, and uh, get excited well i wanted to throw this out there too because this sort of underscores um some of the things are already going around about house and the orioles keith law had a piece at the athletic earlier today um and i'll just read this note from his uh column uh, Georgia prep slugger Brady House's name is bouncing around a lot, but chatter the Royals are targeting him, targeting him at pick seven, while the Orioles and Diamondbacks, five and six respectively, might consider him for underslot deals. So, you know, we've been hearing for a while now that top four in some order is going to be Leiter, uh, Rocker, Lawler, and Meyer. Um, that means that the Orioles coming in at number five, one spot before the Diamondbacks, if this is true, if both teams are considering House for that underslot deal, would be in line to get him. Hey, and if he's a real talent. So if you can get him for underslot and then save some of that money for later in the draft, it's a deep draft. That's not a bad deal. Yeah, we mentioned how the Orioles have you know four or five picks super early on in that draft too. So yeah, I mean, and we talked about this with Stephen Loftus a little bit, and he said he had been debating this question about do you go with the college outfielder. Like I think in these mock drafts, you see South Fralick out of Boston College and Colton Cowser at Sam Houston State rising up, being picked right after the Orioles. Uh, and you could play it safe with these guys at their college. They're going to be ready in you know two years or whatever when the Orioles are ready to compete. But you've also got Gunnar Henderson, Kobe Mayo already in the system. You have a lot of these teenage prospects in the system. Uh, DL Hall's young. Grayson Rodriguez is really young. So you can draft that high school kid like House who probably isn't going to take, you know, four or five years in the minor leagues. And he's still going to fit that timeline of 2023, 2024 contention window. Yeah. So we're, we're still a few months off from the draft that will take place in July, but this is, I think 
pretty tangible signs that the Orioles are connected to Brady House. So we'll certainly be watching that. And uh, in addition to that, we'll be keeping an eye on when the minor league rosters are announced, and we'll be back on the air once we have them. But uh, before we sign off for this episode, I'll start with Nick. Any last thing you want to say to the listeners about uh, what you're looking forward to seeing in the 2021 minor league season? Everything. Every single pitch. I'm going to be tuned in. Follow the Twitter account at BSL on the Verge. Uh, follow Instagram and Facebook, but Twitter's going to be the main one. We're going to be pumping out so much content. Like We want to be your one-stop shop for everything Orioles minor league news. Uh, check check out the show notes of this episode, too, right after you're done listening, and check the link. I'll put the link in there. To, you can go vote for us for a Maryland Podcast of the Year and a Sports Podcast of the Year. That's still going on until May 1st. So you can vote for us there. And um, it, it's going to be super exciting. It's finally back. It's been 19, 20 months since there's been a minor league baseball game, and we're just a couple days away. And also, if you check out our Twitter account, Check out the pin tweet. We're still doing a giveaway through the end of the week. We're recording this Wednesday night, the 28th, till Friday. I'll pick a winner on Friday. Uh, we're giving away free tickets. I'll buy your tickets. Uh, you pick the affiliate, either one of the four. You pick the day. I'll buy you two tickets. Uh, we got about 70 entries between the three social media channels. So you can enter three times, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go check it out. Go enter. Let's watch some baseball. Anything you want to add, Bob? Yeah. He's muted. I forgot I was muted. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I'm ready for the daily deluge of minor league baseball and just the overwhelming amount of news and numbers that I just, I just love it. And I've missed it so much. Uh, I just want to also give a shout out that I'm excited to do the three up three down column for the minor league side, as well as the major league side. I think that will be a lot of fun. I'm going to be on Birdland tonight following the West coast game in Seattle on Monday. If anyone's staying up late for that, and I'm going to be on Locked On Orioles sometime early next week to also preview the minor league baseball season. Yeah, always yeah. a good listen uh, with our friend Connor Newcomb. So make sure you check that out and make sure you check out Bob's Birdland tonight appearance, as well as his weekly three up, three down column. Uh, Nick and I will both be having stories soon with the minor league season starting. Um, in the meantime, between now and our next show, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds. And be sure to head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com to check out Orioles coverage, as well as some NFL draft coverage, college sports. Uh, be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion. Um, and check out our other shows on Baltimore Sports and Life Radio. So, last, oh. At the last second, do we want to answer Carl's question about uh, Gene Carmona? Does he have any future? He's got I was high on him. I was high on him going into 2019. I thought he was going to be a breakout. Didn't happen, but maybe, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've got highlights here of him uh, making some defensive plays in Aberdeen. So I like the glove. I don't know what, what the bat will do, but we'll see. He's probably ticket. He's probably one of those guys that goes right back to Aberdeen, uh, but he's going to have to fight for playing time. And I don't, that, I don't think that's a knock on him. I think that's what we said a, a lot about a lot of other guys in the system, that the system just getting so much deeper that guys like Carmona, are, they're going to have to fight it out because it's, it's a dogfight down there now. Eric yeah, yeah. says still only 21, so plenty of time to, you know, put it together. Yeah, that's that's very true. That, that's a good point. Yeah, he, he was somebody that going into 2019, I was really curious to see. He has gotten a little bit lost in the shuffle, but I think that, you know, as this season goes on, we're going to learn a lot about this middle infield depth and just to see, first off, how much has it improved and, you know, 
are guys like him who right now have kind of fallen off the radar a bit able to get back up with you know something close to a normal minor league season again yeah definitely so carl right. thank you for getting that question in at the buzzer um and remember <laughs> that if you watch um on the Verge live on our Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter platforms. Uh, you can interact with us and ask us questions while we're on the air. Um, so just to keep it something to keep in mind for future shows. So uh, for Bob Thalen and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.